selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Coming up on this week's show, another huge Nintendo franchise is coming to the big screen. A mini PC aimed at retro games. And we get nostalgic about 90s gaming magazines with Paul Monaghan. podcast is brought to you every Friday with our incredible friends at Bitmap Books. Now, have you seen, this is one of the best books they've done in ages, I'm Too Young to Die, the ultimate guide to first-person shooters, detailing over 180 classic FPS games running from 1992 to 2002 across every platform you could think of. So if you're a fan of FPSs, you need to check out this book and the rest of their retro gaming collection at bitmapbooks.com. And welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 404, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And a very warm welcome to the podcast that, of course, every single Friday just takes you on a nostalgic trip back to the classic age of video games, brings you up to speed on all the big happenings from over the last week, and of course brings you a very special guest in the second half of the show. That's the thing about us, guys. You can't stop us talking about retro games. We're obsessed, aren't we? <laughs> I think we live and breathe retro games yeah. and it, it's quite interesting actually because of I've uh, I've just taken on somebody new at work and he is obsessed with Resident Evil and like right. he he found out about my podcast and he really wants to talk to me about it at work but like I've been in loads of meetings since I've got him and it's just like we both keep seeing each other and like spitting feathers like Resident Evil retro games. You just need to <laughs> start dropping names in the middle of meetings, like yeah. Resident Evil references. <laughs> yeah. But we truly do live and breathe retro, what, retro games, retro tech, retro computers, the three of us, don't we? Absolutely. Oh, that's actually one of the chapters in our book, isn't it? Our mm. new uh, new book that um, is getting into uh, Kickstarter backers' hands at the moment and is currently with the printers. There's a lot of the PDFs out there now as well. That's the thing. I mean, we just love doing this podcast now, over 400 episodes of it. I think that's the thing about doing a show like this. If you didn't love 
the subject matter, there's no way it could keep going this long, is there? No, Absolutely. not at all. Yeah. And like, we've just been doing some changes as well. Like uh, 404 is one of the errors that I've been seeing on the website. Um, yeah. you know, <laughs> I was going to make some pun on that in the intro then. Yeah, <laughs> I've been updating it. Um, so there's a new look to the website, but it's still got yep. all the kind of same content on it. And we're going to be populating the pages soon, which has uh, been really good fun, actually, trying to, trying to modernise it a bit. And uh, Ravi, you've got a big announcement as well, because uh, I know a lot of people um, really enjoyed your Amiga event that you did in the in the summer this year, back in July in Nottingham, uh, Kickstart 01. It was uh, the first Kickstart event that you did, and the first kind of high-profile Amiga show that we've had in the UK for almost a decade. And your big announcement is... I'm going to be doing it again. Uh, yeah, Woo-hoo. so um, tickets or details won't be on sale until around... Yeah, just after Christmas, um, because, you know, it's still quite a long time. And uh, I've got other stuff, but the venue has been booked for the uh, 29th and the 30th of June 2024. Right. So uh, bang in the middle of the summer and in Nottingham at the uh, Notts County Stadium, Meadow Lane. Well, it's the thing a lot of people I spoke to last year, because obviously it was your first one. And, and I went to a few like retro events, you know, around the continent, really. I went to uh, one in Italy in particular. I was talking to the guys there and they were like, oh, we didn't know it was on until, you know, after it had been on, then we saw about it on the internet and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people this year are going to be more prepared for it. So I think definitely get those dates in your calendar. We've got a lot more time to repair, but also we've booked more of the building. So we've got a whole extra section upstairs, which is going to add 200 capacity. And it also means that we can do talks up there. And, uh, you know, we can expand the other areas as well. So, yeah, it's just going to grow and uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really pleased that you're doing it again because I had such a blast at that last year. I mean, obviously, I've been to quite a lot of Amiga events, um, you know, over in Germany and places like that. And I've got to say, I think it was equally as good as any of the, the other shows I've been to. So for your first one, I think you absolutely, you know, knocked it out of the park. And even, you know, you popped Joe's Amiga show, Cherry. You know, you came along, didn't you? You've never been to a, <laughs> an Amiga event before. Came along, had my little booth. It was quite funny because yeah. I brought a load of PS1 games. You know, and uh, people were like, why well, you brought a load of PS1 games to sell? Walked away with them all sold. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it was a really, really good event. And I really enjoyed the uh, the nightclub that we had afterwards. Yeah. Um, kick some ass on street. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to uh, drip some news out over time. But, you know, nice. uh, we've got ages till it's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot more prepared. And there's uh, a lot of surprises ahead as well. Yeah, so uh, let's get Christmas and everything out the way first. But there you go, something to look forward to in at 2024, that huge Amiga event coming back to Nottingham. And uh, Ravi will keep you posted on that. Now, we have got an incredible guest coming on today. And actually, there's a friend of ours who um, is very well known in the, uh, not only, you know, the Amiga scene, on the Sega scene as well, anyone that reads kind of retro magazines. Also, you know, the podcast sphere as well, because he, he launched his own podcast back in 2015 called Maximum Power Up, which he hasn't done an episode for a while, but definitely a really interesting archive of shows there as well that you'll definitely want to delve into and uh, somebody you were with actually on um on the magazines don't you Revy? and um, this is paul monaghan yeah yeah he often shouts at me to try and get me to uh, you know get a deadline in quickly um yep. paul is basically mr retro magazine he uh yeah you know he hosts maximum power up and they've had probably the most magazine guests on any podcast uh you know talking about all the different types i think paul often sends me images of magazines and says i've just bought all of these i've got to hide them from the wife because he's got a such a big (laughs) collection and he knows all about the obscure ones as well and uh you know stuff that we weren't always reading you know we a lot of us were stuck with our own systems and kind of prejudice in that way well he 
went all over the whole gaming world and uh, looked at it. And at the moment, he is the uh, editor of Mega Addict and also a writer, staff writer for Sega Powered Magazine as well. And he works on Pixel Addict as well, doesn't he? Yeah, Which, um, yeah. Another one from uh, from the same group that you, you guys work for. Uh, and that's the thing, I mean, because I've always been a big fan of retro magazines, and I've mentioned it loads of times on this show that, you know, I kind of got rid of all mine a few years ago and I've kind of started buying them all back again now. And actually quite an accelerated rate recently. I've been buying loads of old uh, Edge magazine issues in particular off, uh, off the internet and uh, a retro gaming store in Derby that I go to. Um, some of those are getting quite expensive now, though. And uh, Paul's also a massive fan of Edge, so definitely going to delve into, you know, just some of those legendary 90s titles. Yeah, we, his, his, his knowledge is so deep, and a lot yeah. of it is about multi-system magazines as well. And, yeah. you know, um, CVG and stuff like GamesX and, uh, you know, magazines I'd never really heard of. So it's, it's great to have a chat with him. He is a, a real kind of knowledge base of magazines. Yeah, so I could consider him a video game magazine historian. And of course, they're keeping the flame going with his work on that new retro magazines as well. It's our special guest, Paul Monaghan. He'll be coming up in around 35 minutes from now. Now, let's get straight into the news this week, because there has been a very big story that dropped actually just after we recorded last week's show. So it was a bit too late to get into the news last week, but um, we need to talk about this. There is going to be another massive Nintendo franchise that is having a, this is a live action movie adaptation. This is The Legend of Zelda. Yeah, you know, I was, when I first saw this, I was like, oh, is this going to be, you know, like Illumination Studios, they're, you know, they're Mario they've recently done, or is this going to be live action? Yeah. But yeah, this has been everywhere. It's going to be live action. Um, and this isn't like, uh, you know, this this story's been doing the rounds for what, 15 years now? Like the rumors, the rumors yeah. and stuff. Game trailers did that, like fake trailer. Oh, God, when was that? Like 2008 or something like that now? Yeah. You know, and it's always just been rumored there's going to be a Legend of the Zelda, Legend of Zelda movie at some point. But this has had an, an official press pack from Nintendo. This isn't like, a, this is in the works. You know, this is a yeah. rumour going around Netflix or going around Hollywood or anything like. It's official. It's happening. The rumours are we're probably not going to get it until like 2025 because of it has just gone into pre-production. Um, yeah. And obviously a film takes, you know, two, three years kind of to make. Um, but yeah, big thing is obviously it is live action. Uh, official press release from Nintendo. Uh, they have said Shigeru Miramoto, uh, the creator of Zelda, is going to be behind the film. He's going to be kind of like overseeing the whole project, which is fantastic. Which is very news. reassuring, I think, isn't it? Yeah, because I mean, it, doing something like this, I mean, a, a franchise that is so beloved yeah. by, you know, not just Nintendo fans, I think just, you know, gamers in general to this day, yeah. you know, it, I think it, it could go very wrong if you didn't yeah. have the right people on board. Yeah. But knowing that he's kind of overseeing it, yeah. definitely it should be good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's more what kind of audience they're aiming at. Because um, for me, like, you know, Sonic and uh, Mario, they're harder to do than Zelda. I think, yeah. you know, Zelda's a, a tale that that works well at, adapting to screen. You know, it's, it's something like Lord of the Rings to me. It's uh, I, It's got its own world and... Uh, you know, the, the Mario and Sonic ones just seem to be kind of aimed at kids and uh, yeah. teenagers, where Zelda, I reckon you can go quite deep with that. I'm inclined to completely agree with you there. So uh, another thing that backs that up is uh, the guys who they've got producing and directing this. So this has been announced as well. So the producer of the film is going to be uh, Avi Arad, um, who was the producer of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse 
uh, the Uncharted movie, Spider-Man No Way Home, Ghost in the Shell, and the Iron Man films. So that screams to me more along the lines of what you've just said, kind of like, it will be it will be kid friendly. It'll be like the Marvel films. Kids can watch it. Adults can enjoy it as well. You know, but it might get deep, like Dune or something. You know, yeah, right? yeah. So, um, and then the director is Wes Ball, who I've not heard of. Um, he directed the Maze Runner films, um, which I know are kind of. I think they're more yeah, young adult, teenager films, kind of in the vein of Hunger Games and stuff. I've not seen them personally, um, so he's going to be directing it. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty huge for Nintendo, I would say. Now, there is an article on their Retro Dodo that I will link up in the show notes. There is a, a line in there that I, I, I imagine made your eye twitch a little bit, Joe. It said it took uh, 25 years for them to make a Sonic the Hedgehog and Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> um, obviously, forgetting your favourite film of all time, the <laughs> 1993 Super Mario Brothers <laughs> film. Um, but, you know, we'll let them off that. But also there's some kind of mock-ups, isn't there, a bit further down the article of kind of, you know, of, of Tom Holland, what he'd look like if he was Link. Because that is kind of, they put a little, uh, <laughs> little line at the end of this article, I've got $50 on Tom Holland being the main star of the film, just like the rumours suggested a year ago. And they've got um, Emma Watson, what she'd look like as Zelda. I'm, so. I don't mind Tom Holland. I just, I think I'm a bit Tom Holland out. Like, mm. he's already got Spider-Man. Like, that's huge. He's Daniel Spider-Man. Radcliffe. I- oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Daniel Radcliffe's Harry Potter. I'm not saying people can't go and play other people, obviously. Like, I'm not saying yeah. that at all. But I just think like, oh, I don't know. I just, I can see this being huge. Do you know what I mean? But at the same time, I could see why the room is a Tom Holland because of with the producer being who it is, you know, Spider-Man straight away, Tom Holland. And then was, mm. was Tom Holland in Uncharted, Uncharted as well? I can, yes, yeah, he was. I can Maybe see that. I can see why you would put 50 quid on that completely. Mm. I reckon it's going to yeah. be a live action version of the 3DO. Um, That'd games. be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Wand of Gamelon. Yeah. <laughs> Well, not many people have seen that story, so yeah, it could be a good starting point. Um, but yeah, very good news, I think. And like you said, Ravi, I think it could be a great, like, epic fantasy movie. So um, I'm quite pleased to see that this is coming. And uh, Sony Pictures and Nintendo are basically, uh, Nintendo are 50% funding it as well. So, um, you know, with Miyamoto and Nintendo behind it, hopefully this will be a, a, you know, a decent movie. So like you said, I've got a couple of years to wait for it probably, but we'll keep you updated as we hear more. Now, I must admit, I wasn't too familiar with this company, but actually it seems like they're doing quite a lot of kind of retro-inspired mini PC systems, both ones that you can connect up to a monitor and a keyboard in your living room, and a handheld as well. And this is a company called Ayaneo, who've just announced a couple of quite cool-looking new products in the last week. I've never heard of them as well. Actually, usually when we have these companies, even, uh, you know, the ones with like different names and stuff that we've not heard of before. Uh, there's still a bit of familiarity with them, but um, here, yeah, I, I've never heard of Aya, Aya Neo. Um, Aya Neo, yeah. Yeah, but this looks like a nice little device. It's kind of based on the Mac Classic. Yeah, the look of it is um, quite similar to the Mac Classic. So this is, uh, the first one we'll talk about is the Retro Mini PC AM01, which um, is quite interesting because stylistically, yeah, it does have like that kind of beige colour of the original Mac. Um, there's a little rainbow logo on there as well. It's got a little smiley face. It kind of looks a bit like the Mac Finder face icon. Um, and there's also what appears to be like a, a fake floppy drive on there. But there is a button. So, you know, whether that button actually does something, maybe it's a power button or a reset button or something like that. 
Apart from that, I mean, this appears to be a uh, a machine they're saying is aimed at retro gamers, but it is just pretty much an AMD Ryzen 7 and a Ryzen 3 one they offer as well, Windows 11 PC. So kind of a bit similar to something like a, an Intel Nook, like a mini PC. Yeah, and it's, I don't think you're going to need that much emulation power, um, mm. you know, if you're doing a lot of the kind of classic stuff on here uh, that, that, that it's aimed for. But um, yeah, I, I think the Ryzen... Rising chips are really nice, and they've got uh, quite a good kick. Well, there's some nice pictures on um, this article here on uh, that link up as well, that their announcement from uh, Ioneo, basically showing it off paired with what appears to be like a, basically a, a retro-inspired Bluetooth controller. And there's a picture of a lady, um, looks like she's playing a few uh, you know, 8-bit style games on it, and there's a couple of cartridges on a table next to her, which uh, I've got a feeling you're not going to be able to put those kind of Game Boy Advance. retro cartridges into Yeah, it. Game Boy Advance and yeah. Game Boy cartridge next yeah. to it. Yeah, and I can't see any cartridge slots on this thing, no, so I, I presume that is there for aesthetics, yeah. I think it's cool. Obviously, you know, I'm not massively tech guy in terms of emulation and stuff like that. It's something I definitely need to get into. Um, but I can see what they're trying to do. So this is all part of one showcase. So they showcased off quite a few little, like, you know, gimmicky kind of gadgets and stuff. So as well as this, they also um, announced the, uh, the SNES-inspired retro power bank, which is obviously just a, you know, a power bank, but... It's designed like a Super Nintendo, um, hmm. which is pretty cool. So we won't spend the next half an hour talking about that. But then they also did the uh, Ioneo Flip, which is a handheld Windows PC, but it's it's designed like a DS. Yeah, the you know, f- Flip so DS, they've actually called it. They've well. called it the Flip yeah. DS, yeah. So there's the f- <laughs> Just get, getting a bit brave with uh, yes. their legal team. So there, there's the that Flip means. KB. <laughs> which is got one screen and then it's got a, you know, a keyboard and and then it does have, you know, controller, you know, essentially looks a little bit like a GameCube controller built into the keyboard as a handheld. A couple of analog sticks. A couple of analog sticks, yeah. And then the Flip DS doesn't have the keyboard, but has a second screen, just like Mm. a certain Nintendo console called a DS, funny enough. So they definitely know what they're doing. I think this whole range you know, hundred percent. They are. You know, there's there's no like, there's no shame. This is for emulation. Yeah, I think <laughs> go, uh, go the, buy these kind of thing. The Steam Link coming out has created a, a small market of these little like portable PCs, and uh, you know, you're getting quite a bit of power in these uh, smaller devices, and they're all being used for gaming or running Steam or you know, running your emulators on there as well. And uh, it's pretty cool to see this kind of flip one. I like the idea of a full keyboard, but also like a touchpad if you're not really into that. Yeah, because I think the keyboard on this, I mean, you know, there's no kind of, you know, I'm looking here to kind of get an idea of the size of it. They say it's going to be a seven-inch display for the main screen on the top, and then the DS version has a three-inch screen um, where the keyboard would be. It looks like a PDA keyboard, doesn't it? Like one of the old-school PDAs, you know. Yeah, or very much like, like you know, just like a DS screen. I, it doesn't really give you much information on kind of the the specs of the screen. I imagine the top one's going to be a lot more high resolution than the uh, that little three inch one they've got in there. Um, in terms of specs on this one, another AMD Ryzen seven. You know, they're also saying that the, this dual screen setup is designed for DS, 3DS, and uh, Wii U titles as well. So I can imagine yeah. with the Wii U one, there's um, quite a powerful Wii U emulator out there at the moment. You'd have the the gamepad display on the bottom section and then right. on the top section you'd have like the main screen that's cool because i was kind of i was thinking then what kind of use cases would there be for the the dual screen like a dual screen pc like you know in this kind of form factor but yeah i guess for emulating 
DS and 3D. Well, it couldn't do 3DS, I guess. There's no 3D on it, but um, the Wii U games it could emulate. Well, a game well. and watch. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's quite a lot of possibilities for it. But again, I mean, these are basically just like mini PCs, aren't they? But I think in terms of the power, I mean, I, I imagine, you know, just kind of looking at the, the rough specs of this, probably more powerful than a Switch. I mean, the Switch is kind of a decade-old technology now, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. I think um, you should be able to yeah, do Yeah, Ryzen somewhere. 7, definitely. Yeah, so uh, no word on pricing yet, but they, uh, they're they apparently saying it's pretty much ready to go. So we could be getting it in uh, early 2024. So it might be a couple of months away from the release of these. So it'll be interesting to hear on uh, on pricing. So I think that's obviously kind of a, a, a big factor, isn't it, with these kind of things? If they kind of if they can get the price down so it's, you know, just uh, impulse buy, then that could be something that's quite uh, you know appealing to me if they're going to be selling them for like five, six hundred yeah, quid. As long as you don't get not. stung on customs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you want to check those out, I'll uh, link up both of those stories in our show notes as well. Now, um, the Mega Drives have been getting a lot of love in the homebrew scene recently, and uh, I've got to say, this could be one of the most impressive things I've ever seen running on a stock Mega Drive. This is footage of a, a homebrew port of Marvel superheroes running on the Mega Drive with some massive sprites on this. Yeah, this this looks absolutely insane if this is what they are saying it is you know running on a absolutely standard you know sega genesis sega mega drive you know no trickery kind of thing you know no like trickery in the cartridges and all this kind of stuff like this is this is absolutely unbelievable so um for those who don't know uh, marvel superheroes was the second in the kind of the long line of capcom marvel one-on-one fighters the original being yeah. x-men children of the atom you then got X-Men, uh, sorry, you then got Marvel Superheroes, which is this one. Um, and then it went on to X-Men versus Street Fighter, and then Marvel Superheroes versus Street Fighter, and then eventually Marvel versus Capcom, which then yeah. kind of became the, the franchise staple. So this is the second one, which came out in 1995, and it came out on the Capcom S2 arcade hardware, um, which, to put it into perspective, games for that were ported to the PlayStation and the Sega Saturn and even the Dreamcast. Mm. Um, so to have this running on the Mega Drive is just unbelievable. Like the sprites in this, and uh, just to kind of put it into kind of like proportion, the characters they've gone with are Hulk and Juggernaut, which are the two biggest sprites in the game. They are absolutely huge on the screen. They're almost the height of the screen, pretty much, aren't they? It's got the hood above them. Yeah, they're absolutely. I'd say massive. maybe three quarters the height of the screen. Yeah. It's, and, and it's, it's only uh, one scene that we're really seeing from this. And, it, it, yeah. So and, just and to, it does look like it's run off a emulator as well. I don't know about the other one. Uh, yeah. So to to put it into you know kind of like it is so far them just walking around on the screen and throwing a couple of punches at each other. The UI looks very basic. Like the life bars don't seem to be doing anything. There's no round counters. We've not seen the menu. We've not seen any other characters. So right now it is proof of concept. But yeah, like if we get this running because of there has been other kind of like, if you want 32 bit games running on Super Nintendo and stuff like official releases, like uh, some of the Samurai Showdown games came out on the Mega Drive and the Snares and even um, Street Fighter Alpha 2 came out on the Super Nintendo, but they were scaled back like they were not quick games. They were pretty slow games. There were slow loading times on them. You know, the, the details in the sprites was reduced. The You know, the frames of animation was reduced. This looks like 
I'm not an expert. I'm not going to say it looks spot on. It looks better than them games. Put it that way. Like this looks really, really good. Yeah, I've I've seen some very impressive stuff that's um, started to hit the Mega Drive. Like even even back in the days, you know, they had a Titan doing some of the um, amazing demos. I remember one called Overdrive and stuff. And some of the stuff that you see in those and the fact it's running on original hardware is pretty amazing. So uh, you know, sprites this big, um, that's that's impressive. Yeah, let's uh, hope it can all kind of come together as well. Well, this is uh, Gabriel Pyron is his name, and he's, he's quite a well-known um, Mega Drive homebrew developer. He did like the uh, did some work on Final Fight CD, did like, that patch for OutRun as well that made the Mega Drive version uh, a lot more like the arcade. He did like a remastered edition of uh, Street Fighter Two Special Champion Edition as well. So, he's, you know, he's definitely got his, uh, his chops, if you like, mm-hmm. in the, uh, the Sega homebrew development scene. Actually, he said, Ravi, you mentioned about emulation then, that apparently this is running on real hardware. Oh, wicked. This, this clip we see here is running on stock Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive hardware. So um looks like, you know, that, that's, that's the thing these days, because when I mean, we look at this and we think, how the hell has he done that? I imagine one limitation that obviously modern homebrew developers don't have that, you know, original developers had like 30 years ago is kind of they can make bigger cartridges now, you know, because before yeah, yeah. the price of RAM chips and squeezing, you know, or, or have it on an EverDrive or something. Yeah. But, which I imagine will be the way um, this will be played. I mean, a few people have been like, you know, will this be getting a release on cartridge? Obviously, with it being a, a Capcom franchise, I can't imagine he's going to commercially But also, like, emulators there. are those kind of dev kits, you know, nowadays. Yeah. Um, they don't have the huge kind of dev kit machines and stuff. They use emulators, develop it there, and yeah. then blast it down, you know. Yeah, so I think it looks like, you know, like I said, he's, he's got a strong history in the Mega Drive homebrew scene. So uh, this looks absolutely incredible so far. Uh, there is only a little 20-second clip that you can watch so far, but if you want to check that out, I'll put that in our show notes this week as well. Now, while we're talking about uh, pretty cool new games, <laughs> it is uh, Boomer Shooter of the Week time. It's not like we talk about these a hell of a lot recently, but there's that. a lot of good ones Boomer coming shooter. out. <laughs> every, every time you say that, we get comments. Boomer Shooter. Yeah, we do, yeah. <laughs> but of course, Boomer Shooters are uh, for those uh, that haven't heard us talking about these. Uh, basically, old school FPS games, you know, those kind of 90s inspired, or uh, a lot of these are actually running on original engines from back in the day. And this one actually runs on an updated Doom 2 engine. And this is a game called Beyond Sunset. Yeah, this this looks really nice actually. Um, it, it, it's kind of a mix between Deus Ex and Doom. Have, have you guys mm. played much Deus Ex? I never got into it. I got it for the PC when I was much younger, and uh, at the time I was all about like time splitters. So I just wanted to run in and blow everything up. <laughs> um, so yeah, well, I was never got into Deus Ex unfortunately. But this screen's more Duke Nukem to me <laughs> than Deus Ex. But it is being described as Doom meets Deus Ex, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you've kind of got those, um, you know, it's very cyberpunky, isn't it? Neon everywhere. Um, it looks very fast as well, but I think the amount of enemies that you've got in this too, you've got stuff like, you know, zombies and robots and, uh, you know, you've got stuff like, you know, firing magic out mm. of your bare uh, hands. Samurai sword as well. which is Samurai yeah, sword's yeah. one of the weapons Pulse as rifle. well. Very alien yeah. inspired. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely a lot of kind of inspiration here as well. And this is actually available now, and there's a free demo if you want to download it. So um, I think in terms of, it looks very, a very fast-paced mm. FPS game. I've got a feeling the kind of game I'm going to be absolutely crap at and die in about 10 <laughs> seconds. I, I, did f- I, I like the concept that they've said that they're putting in bosses, and they're going to have, um, each, yeah. each boss is going to have its own individual health, oh. and it'll be like a, a boss battle. Because in FPSs, 
there, there's not that many boss battles anymore. And yeah, I think you, it's uh, it's very nostalgic to have an FPS with yeah, bosses you, in it. You got them in, you know, Doom and I think, you know, Hexen and Blood and stuff like that, but you don't really see them and definitely don't get them in COD, do you? <laughs> like, <Yes>. So it's, <laughs> it's cool to see these, like, you know, people flying around on jetpacks shooting, like, you know, electricity at you, which is completely filling up the entire screen, which is going to kill Dan in about two seconds. Yeah. Uh, you know, and giant, massive, you know, mechs that look like Ed one at, what is it? Oh, what's his name? Ed 2019. I think I've just butchered oh, that. From Robocop. Yeah, from Robocop. Yeah. But like, yeah, it, it does look awesome. You know, the shotgun's very, you know, Duke Nukem inspired to me. It's very like, I do love these kind of games because it's like, oh, it's the 80s, but but it's like, what if the 80s never stopped and it's now 50 years in the future? Yeah, and, of. and also that this one, I think the abilities of the uh, kind of main protagonist is like moving left and right, sliding, um, yeah. kind of dodging in, in that way where, you know, a lot of them, you're just kind of centred in the middle. You're just going through massacring everything. This one seems a bit more kind of like, you know, slidey left and right. Quick, <laughs> yeah. it's fast. It's, it's, it's fast, yeah. yeah. It, re- it reminds me of, um, oh, is it Shadow Warrior? That came out, yes, you know, on yeah. those engines back in the day. But they redid the Shadow Warrior games a couple of years ago, you know, on Xbox One and stuff. And they were so fast, but they played, you know, even though they were modern, they, they still played very similar. And it reminds me of that, but obviously with the old school kind of like... And a know, bit, a bit like graphics. Half-Life when people used to do like parkour and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. and have those custom like jumping levels and stuff yeah yeah um it's got that vibe as well yeah so if you want a really fast paced and uh, what looks to be pretty tough um old school fps game that is available now on steam um for eight pounds fifty so uh you know bargain at that price and there is actually a free demo you can download if you just want to give it a little uh, blast this weekend as well so i'll put that in our show notes too now uh, next to me i've got a massive box it's always exciting isn't it when Big parcels turn up in the post because um, we've actually been getting our conservatory refitted recently. Thought you were going to so say, I was like, where's he going? We're going to be sleeping in there tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, my missus has just been ordering loads of stuff from there, you know, stuff from Ikea. Uh, spent most of my uh, Saturday building Ikea units. She got like a sofa delivered as well. So pretty much the entrance to our house has just been filled with boxes now for about four or five days. And, uh, this system turned up at the same time, so actually I just kind of left it in the hallway for a couple of days, not realising what it was until I opened it up. And uh, this is something that actually is released today when this episode comes out um, on November the 17th. And of course, we have been talking about this on the podcast since the announcement, and this is the brand new Atari 2600+. Plus. And I've got one here. I was going to say my sweaty little palms, but actually I definitely need two hands and the desk because of how big this box is next to me. Unfortunately, um, I've got a feeling this beautiful box, this beautiful packaging that they've sent mine in, is that reserved for the review units they sent out only. From what I've seen of the retail release that came out today, um, unfortunately, that's in a lot smaller, much more simplistic box. But this one, it's pretty much the size of a desk. It is massive. It fills up my entire table uh, in complete white. It looks pretty much the same shape as an Atari 2600 with the Atari logo embossed on the top of the box in red. And then that's the first thing you see. There's no kind of plastic or anything in there. You've literally got the, the new console right in the middle of it. A couple of paddles. You get the uh, old school Atari joystick here as well. And uh, four cartridges that are nicely presented in the front of the box. So I haven't set this up and had a go of it yet because I actually want to do a YouTube video on this at the weekend. Um, and I'm thinking, obviously, I need to kind of do my unboxing on the video. But um, first impressions of this are 
that it is a very, very well-built and very nicely presented system. Has it got your nostalgia tingling? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I do have an original Atari 2600. It wasn't a system that I had back in the day. I mean, we've kind of talked about that on the podcast before, that kind of Atari's a bit before our gaming time, isn't it? Mm. So none of us have kind of really got much nostalgia for it. I mean, obviously, I know what a legendary system it is. Um, And in terms of the look of it, I mean, yeah, it is pretty much, it looks just like a woody Atari 2600. Smaller, though, it's probably around three quarters of the size of the original, and uh, obviously a lot lighter than the original system was. But I think in terms of build quality and everything, it does look really nice. Now, the reason we're talking about this is um, because it is launch day. Maybe you've got one uh, if you pre-ordered on Amazon. Maybe yours has turned up today. Let's put this massive box down here. Uh, but there is uh, some more games that have been announced for it as well, including a uh, another one in the Atari XP line, and this is Dark Chambers. I had to look this one up because I hadn't heard of this. So obviously this was an original release, you know, back in the 80s. And uh, I'd never heard of Dark Chambers, and it was commonly referred to as Dandy um, right. or Dendy, which was meant to be D and D. Like, do you get it? Kind of thing. D and D. Because if it was a, this game was just a huge kind of like homage or inspiration from Dungeons and Dragons, and it actually went on to inspire games such as Gauntlet. So I looked it up. I was like, okay, let's see what this Dark Chambers is about. And like you say, we're kind of from before Atari. And I must say, I'm probably going to offend a lot of people here. This looks very playable for a 2600 game. Like it's a dungeon crawler and, you know, you play as like your little knight or your archer and, you know, you run around the board kind of like, you know, dodging enemies, which are obviously meant to be like skeletons and goblins and stuff like that. You know, got to use your imagination a little bit, as you do with the, you know... It's an Atari game. It's an Atari game. Um, But yeah, no, it it looks really playable. Like, I was like, quite fancy having a go at this. But yeah, as per usual, $60, you know, uh, for the the new Atari 2600 Plus XP version of it. The artwork is pretty phenomenal. I I absolutely love this kind of, like, you know, 80s-inspired neon medieval look. Um... The artwork's by Butcher Billy, who's uh, he's an artist who's he's all over the place at the moment. He's been doing a lot of his Atari artwork and stuff, but he worked he worked on a lot of like the Stranger Things artwork and stuff like that uh, recently. So he he's been doing a lot of these kind of like eighties inspired artworks recently. Um, Actually, it does look a lot better than the original one. I'm looking at the original, at the original cartridge. And, yeah, and I just look, Google that now. Look, that looks a bit more like something like Dragon's Lair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah like yeah. that kind of style. The original. It's, it's, oh, it's good to see because you know when the system first came out, you guys were going, "But what do we play on it?" And um, yeah. I'm looking at this Atari XP range, and there's 15 titles on there. Uh, you know, a lot that we've covered in this podcast, and a few like re-releases of of the traditional ones but the the cartridges are out there which is uh just fantastic that there's 15 and i'm sure they've got more planned well i'll tell you my concern being now an, an owner of this system again like a lot of these that we've talked about pre-orders are available on atari.com but again like a lot of these it says this product is only available for shipping in the united states I guess that's their primary so, market, isn't it? You've got you know, one, though. Yeah, but I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can buy the console here. It's on Amazon, but a lot of these XP games they're releasing are only available oh, in America. Oh, okay, I see, I got you. Yeah, right. okay. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got the four games that come with it, but I'm looking, again, you know, if I want to play this Dark Chambers game on my new system that I bought here in the UK, I can't get it delivered over here. So right. that is a bit of a problem, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I guess they're, they're trying to see how well they sell. Um, you know, Atari America will be their primary audience. 
Mm. Um, yeah, and th- maybe they're seeing how well the consoles sell around the world and then go, right, there's enough in that region to justify us selling the games as well. And that's the thing. I mean, yeah, you're right. I think, you know, if suddenly they sell millions of these in Europe, I imagine they're going to start to distribute the, the cartridges over here pretty quick if that's the case. But it does mean that for us kind of early adopters, you know, if you forked out for it, it does kind of feel a bit of a, is there going to be any new stuff to play in it yeah, over here at the moment? To, to me, I think this cartridge model is um, uh, looking at stuff like the Evercade. You know, before I didn't think the cartridge model was that strong, but um, mm. looking at the Evercade and the way that people use that and love that and how the library's grown, um, yeah. I, I think it's actually quite a good way to go. A lot better than, um, you know, the VCS and they had their digital store. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this this kind of physical store is uh, really nice and people having them as mementos and stuff and uh, taking it back to those kind of days. Yeah, I've got to say, I mean, like I said, I haven't actually powered mine up yet and I'm not the most clued up person on kind of how, I mean, you know, I don't really think he can mess up Atari 2600 emulation because <laughs> it's such a, a simple system. I don't, I don't imagine there's going to be frame drops and stuff like that on it. Um, but as you I said, I haven't tried mine yet. Yeah, know. exactly. Yeah. I haven't tried mine yet, so I can't say either way. But um, yeah, I imagine it You know, it probably will be quite a, you know, looking at the build quality and everything so far, it looks pretty well done. So I do agree that it is nice to have this uh, this system out there. And very cool that Atari is supporting it. But yeah, just uh, I think a bit more love for us international users would be nice so if you want to check that out and uh, pre-order it if you are in the US I'll link that up and of course the rest of the stories in our show notes as well right then patrons stay tuned we have got more new stories on the way for you in just a minute including talking about a legendary game that I can't believe never came out on the Mega Drive that is finally here and uh, something very cool for the Commodore Amiga as well in just a minute. Before we do that, let's take a second to give a massive thank you to this episode's sponsor, and that is our wonderful friends at Shopify. Now, if you use Shopify, how nice is this sound? You know what that sound is, don't you, Ravi? It's a sale. That is a sound. That is a sound of making money on Shopify. Whenever you make cash, you make a sale, you hear that sound. So uh, that'll be music to your ears if you use Shopify. Now, if you're not familiar with what Shopify is, um, it is basically the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Because I don't know about you guys, it feels like all my mates at the moment are like, you know, running side hustles or even becoming their own boss as well. There's definitely a lot more of that going on now as well. And Shopify basically takes all the pain out of selling online or even in person out of it. So it takes care of everything for you. An all-in-one platform to start, run, and grow your business as well. And it is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. So I mean, I know, I know Ravi, you've done web development in the past. I mean, you've actually used Shopify. You told me about this years ago, actually. Yeah, it's it's so much easier. It's an absolute nightmare setting up your own kind of service and uh, e-commerce yeah. platform. And uh, Shopify just makes it easy. And also having that uh, 24-hour support as well means you're not getting harassed. If you're the web developer, you know, Shopify yeah. will be able to answer all your questions. So whatever you're selling online, it could be, you know, fine art prints. It could be, you know, fashion. It could be clothes. It could be home and garden accessories, health and beauty products as well. They will cover all your sales channels from a front-of-shop POS system. It is the all-in-one commerce platform. Even it can help you sell across your social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. It's got industry-leading tools to ignite your growth and give you complete control over your business. And the thing is, you don't have to learn new skills like, you know, design or coding. Instead, just concentrate on running your business and let Shopify support your success every step of the way. Now, we want you 
to give this a try yourself. And what about this? Sign up for a £1 a month trial period by using our exclusive link to let Shopify know that we sent you there. Really helps out the podcast as well. Head to shopify.co.uk slash retro hour or lowercase shopify.co.uk slash retro hour to take your business to the next level today. And I'll put that link in our show notes as well. Shopify.co.uk slash retro hour. And a big thank you to our friends at Shopify for their support of our show and get ready to hear lots of this. Right then, only a couple of weeks to go until uh, patrons hang out again. That is coming up (laughs) next weekend, next Sunday. I can't believe how quickly the months are flying by. Then obviously that will be uh, the penultimate one of the year before the uh, the big Christmas celebration. Maybe fit us talking about these before and you're thinking, oh, I'd love to get involved in that. It is a really good time to join us on Patreon right now and get invited to uh, what is always our favourite weekend of the month, isn't it, when the Hangouts are on? Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely love them. Meeting up with everybody and, uh, you know, seeing all the new kind of weird devices that are coming out as well because, honestly, I can't keep up. Even though we do this podcast and we get the news, yeah. you know, our patrons actually inform us more than the web does. Yeah, so I um, mean, it's basically a massive hangout that we all do. Think of like, you know, a massive Zoom call. I think you've described it as like the Brady Bunch before Ravi. It is just like that. <laughs> Those little windows on the screen, we all just chat away, nerd about, you know, what we've kind of done in the last month and show our pickups off and stuff like that, get advice as well. It's a bit like a virtual users group. So if you want to join us for the November patrons hangout, that is coming up next weekend. Of course, I did mention the patrons are getting a couple of extra exclusive news stories. We do that every week. So if you enjoy the news part of the podcast, you get another two or three stories every single episode. If you're a patron, you get the show ad free as well. If I can get it out early, you know, patrons get it first too. So uh, a really good time to support us on Patreon, and uh, we'd massively appreciate your help. All the details to sign up are at theretrohour.com. And of course, we like to induct new members into the most prestigious high score table in the world of retro gaming. And of course, that is the Retro Hour Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. <laughs> and a massive thank you to our latest supporters. A big shout to Fabio, David LeBrock, Jason, and John Gelotti, who all joined us on Patreon over the last couple of weeks. Thank you so much for your support. And if you'd like to sign up as well, all the details to join our incredible patrons community are on the website right now at theretrohour.com. Right then, next, we are going to geek out about all things magazine-related, a lot of those classic British gaming magazines from back in the day with, uh, you could call him, you know, our magazine historian. And somebody's keeping the flame alive by working on new retro magazines as well. Paul Monaghan is our special guest next on the Retro Hour podcast. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and it is time to welcome on this week's very special guest. And it is a good friend of ours as well. We always enjoy a good nostalgic chat with when we see him at events. And of course, I think we did mention at the start of the uh, the podcast that, you know, I guess this week, Paul, he's uh, basically, I'd say, a retro gaming magazine historian. Someone who also keeps a light alive as well by working on modern retro magazines. And I think we haven't had him on the podcast for about a year and a half, so we thought it was due a little bit of a catch up and also to nerd out about retro mags, you know, those magazines magazines that we grew up reading back in the 90s. We always enjoy talking about those. Let's welcome him on, Paul Monaghan. How's it going, Paul? Thank you for having me back. Um, sadly, I don't even like magazines anymore. Obviously, oh, I'm give it, All right, go I know. That's the end of the interview. Chat, then, I know, there we go. No, um, <laughs> honest to God, thank you for having me back. It's, uh, it's brilliant. And uh, like you say, we chat when we see each other at uh, events and everything. And any games magazine chat doesn't take much uh, arm twisting for me to say yes of course i'll come along and chat to you well i mean we're going to talk about the you know the, the new titles that you work on pixel addict and amiga addict that you work on with ravi as well and uh, you also host your own podcast that people I'm, I'm sure a lot of our audience will be familiar with but you've actually um just done a new episode of maximum power up as well haven't you yes yeah we recorded that this this week as i'm well, uh, a few days ago, sorry. So it was the first one since February. So that should be going right. out probably in the next, you know, two or three weeks. And we've just been knocking about a few ideas to uh, cover a few small topics. So, um, yeah, it's just, if anything, it's more than time being the uh, key issue in regards to putting mm. that out. Because as I said I before, when I've done things like um, interviews with you know, magazine writers and things. It can take a, a lot of research looking back, you know, through the various magazines and things like that, asking for questions, getting them signed off and, uh, you know, then editing as uh, you'll know all about. It's the yep. worst part of a podcast, <laughs> the editing. But the chatting, the research, that's a fun part. But when it gets to uh, the editing, ugh, no. Oh, br- no bring chance. on a good AI editor. That's what we need, an artificial intelligence audio editor. Someone yes. make a good one, please. Oh, God, yeah, that'd be, that'd be <laughs> perfect. So, oh. I, I, yeah, it's so just so a so very fun. quick one. But like, I remember the first time I was editing a podcast when I was on um, Retro Asylum, and I yeah. asked my wife to do it for me. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll hold my hands up. And she, she did a really good job. And she went, I'm never doing that ever again, because that's absolutely yeah. horrible. But anyway, <laughs> that's a totally different story. <laughs> Well, yeah, Paul does an incredible podcast. And if you like, uh, you know, like you do a lot of episodes about magazines, obviously, as well. Yes. So if you want to hear like from the horse's mouth, you know, you talk to editors and writers, some of the biggest ones in the uh, you know, UK magazine space. So Maximum Power Up, I'll link that up in our show notes oh, as well. You. Now, let's get a bit of background on you, though, Paul. For you. I mean, people might not be familiar kind of with your story. I mean, we always like to kind of get a bit of background on you know, gaming history with our guests. I mean, what kind of systems did you grow up with then? Where did it kind of all start for you? Um, well, I've said before, my first 
own computer was the uh, Atari ST, uh, 520 STE, um, the power pack, which came with um, 20 games. That was Christmas 89. So it's uh, going back a bit now. So I think it was about 10 then. And I actually wanted an Amstrad 464 um, with a green screen monitor because that's what my friend had. So when I opened the ST, I was like, oh, okay. I don't know anyone with an ST. So, you know, try and get used to it and uh, see what it's all about. And, you know, I fell in love with that quite quickly. And the same Christmas, I had friends getting Amigas. And, uh, yeah, for a while, <laughs> both machines were, I'm going to say neck and neck, you know. Mm-hmm. R- Ravi might be uh, chuckling as I say that. But um, by 1991, <laughs> it was um, obviously all over, really, for the ST. Well, 92 at a push. But, um mm-hmm. Before having my own machine, you know, I played on uh, friends, you know, Spectrums, Commodore 64s and things. Um, and then from the ST, went on to the Super Nintendo, which is still my all-time favorite machine. Had a bit of time with uh, A1200, which uh, is my only time up until recently that I owned an Amiga. Um, and then I went down, you know, the PlayStation route and everything for God knows how many years. And then when I started collecting uh, retro machines again, back in the mid noughties uh, it sort of just snowballed into collecting where um, Retro Gaming Magazine uh, recently launched in 2004, I think it was. You had Games TM as well. And as those two magazines covered Retro, it started, um, you know, feeding this longing to be looking backwards. And mm. um, it, it sort of showed you all these games that, you couldn't afford when you were a kid, but then being in my twenties at the time, you know, I'm 44 now, but being in your twenties, you go, Oh, I've got a disposable income. And this is before the retro price boom that we've all, uh, you know, moaned about over, over several yeah. uh, conversations. <laughs> like, do you remember when this was five pounds and not 40 pounds? And as glory know, days. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember going over car boots and finding this, even though recent stories, when you're picking up, you know, all your Sega hardware, Dan, you know, it's, it's crazy. Mm. So yeah, then I went through a bit of a period of selling it all off. Um, and then from 2012, when I did start collecting again, seriously, that led to me aiming to collect the Superplay magazine top 100 games, um, a part of my retro games collection that I still own. Uh, not every single game is boxed, but I think there's 97 which are boxed. But the price of Super Nintendo games is just, yeah. yeah, thank you. It's it's crazy though. Yeah, people got involved and helped out in the community for that as well, you know, like, and I've made quite a few good friends, like people like um, Will Overton actually helped me out with um, Pocky and Rocky. And he goes, there you go, I'll do you a good price. And uh, then he sent me, I think it was Final Fantasy 2. I was like, wow, amazing. He goes, there you go, happy Christmas. That was a good few years ago now, though. Nice. Well, you know, when you were younger, you didn't have as much uh, choice of getting things. You know, you had limited kind of pocket money or spending money. How did you make your kind of decisions on what games magazine was the one that you wanted? Well, all my spending money and paper round money, because I did um, morning paper round, afternoon, and a couple of Sundays. And... Again, I mentioned this quite a bit, but they always paid you on the Saturday afternoon. And by the Saturday afternoon, I was probably left with about 70p of my week's wage because it'd be, can you just put it on the tab? Can you put it on the tab? And then, you know, it'd come to your wage packet on the Saturday and there'd be nothing in it because I spent it all on games magazines. For me, the big thing was 
which writers were involved. So we've said before, people like Jazz Rignall, Neil West, um, Steve Jarrett, you know, like we're talking about some of the proper greats. Um, and you started getting used to um, believing their judgment when it came to certain titles and things. The other one is um, What Free Gifts came in magazines, something we might touch on uh, in a bit. And I think that's just it, you know, back then in the 90s, um, like, you know, about like 93, 94, every single console seemed to have several magazines, you know, before, you know, they started dropping off and folding and things. Because, you know, even by then you started like the odd 8-bit magazines like um, Commodore Format still hanging on. That was out around the same time as the PlayStation <laughs> official and, yeah, magazine. And it went until about 95. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's crazy. So I felt like they, they catered to everyone. But again, I know it's an obvious thing to say, but because we didn't have the internet freely available and things like that, you wanted to be like a sponge for all this information. You know, it's it's it was such a, spe- a special time. And like you said, that individual magazines, you know, you could end up spending all your money on like a Sega magazines or Amiga magazines or something. Um, do you think multi-system magazines bene- benefited from covering everything and, um, you know, having that kind of all-round look? Um, to a point, yes. I mean, I've spoke to some people and they were put off by him. So even though something like like with Games Master Magazine, when that started off, some of the issues there were like 140, 150 pages, you know, quite thick. And even though by 93, it was still the big, big focus was on like, you know, your Nintendo machines, your Sega machines. They still had like a lot of Amiga stuff in as well. And back then they used like a lot of... Um, Amiga format writers as well. So, you know, we had like a lot of uh, knowledgeable people and they really banged that Amiga drum. Same with the uh, mm. CD32 as well. And that was good to see because there weren't that many exclusive CD32 magazines, but any key titles were always covered. So I always liked seeing what was going on with other machines, even though at one point I'd only ever have like one machine. You know, I, I had my Game Boy and then like, you know, my ST and then I had my Game Boy and SNES and then still kept the Game Boy for a bit and then, you know, went to the A1200 and stuff, like I said. But it's not like things are now, you know, or even 10 years ago where, I don't know, like if I, if I look back, say 20 years again, back, back in my 20s, where I had like the GameCube, the original Xbox, the PlayStation 2, there's no way that would have um, happened when I was a teenager back, back in the mm. uh, 90s, even if I was buying things out of a uh, loot the uh, ads paper and stuff, it comes down to money, doesn't it? Because, yeah. you know, the games weren't always cheap. Granted, you had ways of getting new games for the Amiga. Um, but for things like, you know, uh, any of the consoles, it involved birthdays, Christmas, um, sometimes, you know, doing odd jobs and things, but also um, being very, very selective what games you're going to buy. So you needed to be able to trust you know, what you were reading in the magazines. You know, we, we always mention, me and Ravi, um, the Rise of the Robots review in a uh, <laughs> yes. action because that was like 90-odd percent and every other magazine was 20 or 30, if if, if you're lucky. It, there was and definitely... Was 7%, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. There was definitely it, some, like, delusion. <laughs> um, you know, some of those uh, later Amiga magazines. And what I used to do was I would look back at the multi-system magazines just to get an actual normal perspective on <laughs> kind yeah. of how the game scene was. 
<laughs> no, I think I think I was just saying. I mean, the the best the best time to buy a multi-format magazine being like CVG and Games Master, the biggest ones there. If you were in the market for going right, what console, what computer, and we're going to buy next? Yeah. That's what you wanted, you know. What, so what, it, what's it coming fantastic. up? You know. Yeah, yeah, because you could see what was fading away by the coverage as well. So. I'd probably say a couple of years into Games Master, so like 1995, you know, the the Amiga coverage was almost non-existent. But luckily, you still had the, um, you know, fully covered Amiga magazines, you know, uh, like Amiga Power and things like that. So, you know, everyone was catered for. I know I keep like banging on about that point, but it's just so difficult, like, you know, to to try and explain it to if if you weren't there, you know... (laughs) Well, I remember, you know, I've got a vivid memory of, uh, you know, being with my dad when I just got my Amiga and walking into just a local post office and then seeing it was issue 33 of Amiga Format Magazine, I think uh, March 92 issue. Mm. And it had Felix a Cat on the front because um, we were doing like a feature on, uh, on animation. And it had uh, Myth History in the Making on the cover disc and uh, yeah, yeah. a program called Vista Pro. Um, and that I, I remember it clear as day, that moment when I saw that on the shelf and it's been like, you know, Dad, I want that. And he bought it for me, you know, <laughs> having something else to play apart from Lemmings and Captain Planet on my Amiga at home. I mean, is there any like kind of memories you've got like that? Any any kind of magazine features or articles that like stood off, off the shelf and was really memorable for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I've, I've mentioned this a few times, um, but the big one for me was the first magazine that I bought with my own money, um, which was an ST Action. And that came with uh, the Spy Who Love Me demo. So I'd had my ST for about a year. And then I was like, right, we're going to start getting magazines, you know, now. This is what I'm spending me spending money on. So again, probably 11 then. And I look back at this and I, I just remember, you know, reading this magazine for the first time, playing the demo again and again. And I think the demos back then, because the discs had, you know, two or three on, you know, most of the discs, two, uh, two or three demos. It always seemed like just enough, you know. So if you had you know, the weekend free and you weren't going out anywhere. It it was perfect, you know. So I think that's that's a big thing for me. Like that's my like massive memory. Uh, and the other one is um issue one of Super Play with a little pin badge, which I think is yeah. a really nice uh free gift, you know. Um something that luckily I have uh, still got but I had to get you know rebuy that. <laughs> um and then also <laughs> one gifted to me as well, which was quite nice. Uh, I think it's because I bang on about that magazine so much, you know. So, yeah, I think I think that's just it. You, you know, you, you look through these magazines now and so many, you know, memories just come flooding back, you know, from going back to being 11, 12, 13. You know, it's like um, it really, I, I find a lot more enjoyment going through the magazines and playing the games. You know, I felt like that for quite a long time now mm. because I sort of, it's going to sound weird. I appreciate them because I think back to that time where I couldn't have so many games available, you know, like you can go on to um, your Switch and download a, you know, Capcom collection or something like that. You know, I never thought I'd have like such easy access to things like Final Fight, Bionic Commando and stuff like that, you know, because again, I always think back like, oh God, this used to cost £30, £40 or whatever. Well, I turn on my Mega Drive and I've got an EverDrive in there with like, you know, every Mega Drive game on it, you know, that list there. And I'm like, if I'd have saw this 30 years ago, it would have blown my mind. There, there, exactly. there were also a good resource for kind of 
you know, we've used them for research on this podcast and um, mm. just also setting your head back into the time and looking at the prices and seeing <laughs> what else was kind of advertised. They're a good little kind of time machine, aren't they? Oh, de- yeah, definitely. Definitely. And the, the thing is, and this is something um, as a magazine collector and something that um, quite a few of us discuss, not everything gets digitized and put on you know internet archive or amiga magazine rack and things like that or if you are put up there you sometimes have i think future have asked a few people to take scans down um so who knows maybe one day they might go through their own archives and release something you know but um i saw amiga format had gone off yeah 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 which um that just makes me want to collect all the uh Amiga formats, you know, but 136 issues is uh, quite a pile. And um, with a massive box of um, Amiga magazines at the end of a bed, uh, I already have a very unhappy wife who just goes, <laughs> are you ever going to move this box of magazines? It's like, well, no, because I just need them in case, like, you go, hang on a minute, I've just thought of an idea. What issue was it in? And then you're just like a madman going through this box and you've got magazines strewn everywhere while you're looking to see which one had, you know, a certain reviewing and stuff like that. But like you say, Ravi, they come in handy so much for um, interview research and things like that. You know, it, it's helped me out so much. And then also, you know, I've, um, I, I enjoy taking them to events, showing the people that worked on them, you know, like taking them down memory lane a little bit as well. Because uh, obviously for them, it was just a job. For me, it was a massive, massive passion. And a, a lot of the uh, kind of announcements and stuff, you know, that of games that never happened, of you know, yeah. projects that were going to get released and stuff. It's there's a lot of stuff that's not on the internet in them. No, exactly, exactly. And I've been, I, I look back. Um, I spoke to um, Gary Penn recently, and I know we've we've both had him on um, both podcasts, you know, mine and and yours, and mm. um, we talk about the one and that magazine uh, done by EMAP. The big thing for that is they got so many exclusives and these work in progress uh, reports from so many games that never came out or games that, you know, had bits scrapped from them and things like that. And it's just great to see, you know, I've mentioned it on um, a Discord chat for uh, Amiga Addict going, does anyone know what happened to this game? You know, and everyone's like, yeah, I think it got canned. And then you start, you know, looking on the internet and you've got people like um, Frank Gaskin, who does um, games that weren't, you know, a bit of a plug for him there. Uh, and, you know, the work he does, I look at it and just go, my God, this is amazing. But this is why the magazines are important. As time goes by, they're going to get more dog-eared they're going to get lost you know if someone passes away and then someone goes up to the attic and goes oh my god what are all these magazines here for you know skip you know and um, yeah. you, you just you just never know and that's why the preservation side's important but it is becoming more expensive to get certain issues and things like that you know I, when yeah, I, mean, I started collecting again in it was 2013 2014 when I started getting magazines again I got the first few uh Meme Machine Sega for a penny each on eBay and the postage was costing me more you know and it's like it never happened now now yeah. they'll be like seven or 12 pounds you know yeah yeah I I blame people like me sadly banging on about magazines <laughs> you know um <laughs> And I'm sort of like a bit annoyed at myself. But then again, you know, I've met like a lot of uh, like-minded collectors and friends and things, you know. 
I blame you as well, Paul, because I threw all my magazines out. I think we've had this conversation. <laughs> I've actually got half of Dan's here. <laughs> yeah, I give a lot to Ravi. Rest one in the bin about probably about maybe a decade ago now. And then oh. gradually, I think whenever I see you at an event, you're like, oh, no, there's magazines down there. Someone's selling it. And I'm like, end up buying inevitably probably about 50 quid's worth. Yeah. Every event yeah. I go to. So I've got most of the Amiga formats and see you Amigas again next to me now, it's, um, which it's is cool great. to own. I do like it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like, I drive to events now, but like before I was driving. So let's say, you know, going back, uh, um, seven or eight years, the amount of times I'd say go to, um, you know, Mark Jowett's Sega Magstall, um, and I've, I've promised no more cheap plugs. Um, <laughs> honestly, I, I get on the train with like a bag full of magazines and then I'd just be like, this is brilliant. I'm just going to sit here, always try and get a table seat and just sit there reading magazines. And then I just go, I wonder what people actually think of me. Like it's obviously a guy in his, well, thirties back then, you know, and just say like reading about street fighter two, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it, <laughs> but again, it's a magical time. It's, it's better than doom scrolling, Paul. No, exactly, exactly. And I tell you what, if you looked at any magazine back in like 1992, 1993, you wanted that Street Fighter 2 news. So when things like Street Fighter 2 Turbo was announced and you'd be like going, oh my God, it's one tiny little screenshot. Finally, the rumours are true. You can be the bosses and stuff. Or I remember like... Um, seeing uh, Super Street Fighter 2, you know, with the new challengers. And you're like, oh, who are they going to be? You know, who are these new fighters? And then you get magazine specials just on Super Street Fighter 2, you know, to show you how to do all the moves and everything like that. And you'd spend hours. We've talked about, you know, manuals and how we miss the manuals in, in games. But, you know, the magazines just showed you so much. They showed you just enough you know, I don't, I never think they showed you too much. They showed you just enough just to make you really want, you know, what they were showcasing. You know, everything was so well thought out. Were there ever any, um, you mentioned about, you know, kind of announcements and stuff there. And I remember, you know, we, we had Will, Will Overton on here a couple of months ago and mm. I looked through some of the old super plays and, uh, you know, kind of following the news stories about the upcoming Super Nintendo CD that obviously became the PlayStation never happened in the end. And I remember reading, uh, you know, I was going through archive.org, some old issues of Amiga Shopper and following their news stories in like, you know, early 92, talking about how the Amiga 800 is coming soon and the rumoured specs, obviously a machine that never made it to market. Have you got any memories of stuff like that that you kind of remember reading about big yeah. announcements that kind of never happened? Yeah, I mean, the big one is um, a magazine that doesn't get mentioned very often is a GB Action. And basically... Yeah. Um, it was done by Europress, um, mostly Europress, and it went to uh, Maverick Magazines and uh, died off. Um, but it did last for, uh, God, about 37, 38 issues. But early on, it came out from the ashes of Games X magazine, a weekly magazine, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, so a lot of staff went from there and weren't working on GB Action. But I think it was issue, it was either one or two, and they were talking about the color Game Boy now, fair enough, we have the Super Game Boy on the SNES, and eventually we did get a color Game Boy, but it was always one of these where it was just, not yet, but it's coming, not yet, but it's coming. And I think it only just came out quite near the end of, um, I can't remember the exact date off the top of my head, but, you know, like every issue was, again, trying to drip feed these like little facts, and, oh, it's going to have this, it's going to have that, it's going to show this in colour, here's an artist mock-up. And you, you look at all the artist mock-ups and things, and, it, again, it's still exciting. But then, like what Ravi just said, this is why it's interesting looking back at these magazines, because you just go, it played out nothing like that. 
but it's like an important historical article, you know. Um, I, again, we've we've talked about you know the um, Nintendo PlayStation and stuff. Like when that prototype came out a few years ago, it's still exciting, isn't it? You hear things like yeah. that because we love what we cover. Yeah, you can follow that excitement. Yeah, when you read back those those yeah. old issues of the magazines, which I think is very because cool. again, you didn't have the internet, so anything yeah. you could get. So again, you buy things like the American magazines. I never bought any Japanese magazines. Um, I don't know if people like Forbidden Planet may have had them in, but we had a couple of news agents that did Game Pro and uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly, and you tried to get that sort of bit of insight you know on news and things but then not everything would be coming out in our country anyway so what i liked doing was just to see the um different game cover art you know it's uh, i was like oh wow that's how we do it over in america you know because you'd see the odd game in your independent shop you know luckily we had a few um near me uh in bolton and lee five miles the other way of where i lived so you know i felt like if you read the American magazines as well, you had uh, quite a fuller picture, you know, and a bit of better mm. idea if you were going second-hand game shopping. You know, um, I there was a place um, called Bowlers in Manchester at Trafford Park. It's still, I think it's still there. Yeah, they still do the car boot, I'm sure. But back then it was like a uh, pirate's paradise on a Sunday for, after the computer <laughs> market. But there were stores that sold console games and they'd be doing them at 30 quid, 35 quid. Now, I don't know if you were hot, but, you know, it was like a good bit, you know, cheaper. Half half the price, really, then. More or less, yeah, yeah. 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 And I was like, this is brilliant. So every so often, you know, going over there. um, And again, that's why it helped reading the magazines. I don't think I've mentioned this before, but I used to have, (laughs) um, I may have mentioned it on Maximum Power Up, but I used to have a little notebook and... I write down the score that each magazine gave um, a game, and then work out the yeah. average. You know, and uh, so any time I go game shopping, that little uh, book would come out with me. You know, trying to find uh, what was decent. Um, I really wish I still had that now. Well, that's quite um, depressing <laughs> thinking. <but laughs> that's a good way of doing that. it, though, because you know now you can just pull it up on your phone. Oh obviously, yeah, I know. But, you know, having that in your pocket. I is, know. Yeah, really cool. But then you'd be like going, so total give it eighty-one percent super play, give it ninety. You know, and yeah. stuff like that. And, <laughs> oh, madness. But the thing is, any time I bought a second ad game, I'd be trading in other games towards it. And I remember coming back so many times with worse titles because you'd think, right, you're getting you're getting less. So you'd be like going, I've got £35 trade. What can I get? Some obscure game that, you know, <laughs> it is like on a bottom shelf somewhere in a tatty box, you know, and you're like, oh my God, why have I bought this, you know? But anyway, sorry, I'm just uh, depressing myself thinking back. <laughs> you know, you actually made me think of something then when you mentioned about going to bowlers and, you know, whether they were kind of hot games or, you know, I remember you know seeing Amiga copy games oh, at yes. market stores and that kind of thing too. And one thing the magazines always did, and I understand why they did it, obviously they always took a really harsh anti-piracy stance. Mm. And I remember pretty much every year in, you know, the computer magazines in particular, you know, like Amiga Format and Amiga Shop and stuff like that, um, there'd always be like an anti-piracy feature that was generally a cover article going on about how bad it was and you shouldn't do it. And we've actually had, you know, magazine journalists on before, and like, yeah, we all did it, you know, the magazines. Yeah, some of them had like sketchy PD houses in the back and some of the listings of, uh, you know, machines that you could buy would like come with copied games and stuff when people were doing that. But they would have these huge articles like, no, (laughs) I guess they had 
had to kind of do that to, you know, show that they were on the right side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's just it. I mean, especially when I was, you know, buying um, ST magazines and Amiga magazines, um, it's probably no secret that many of us um, had, you know, find a ways of getting uh, discs with uh, game content on and things like that. You know, it's. Mm. Um, I remember uh, Zero Magazine, they had... Um, Oh God, what was it? It's like Blogosoft. I spoke to um, Dave Wilson, um, who was an editor quite a bit back now. But uh, he was saying, like, obviously it was just this dodgy guy uh, uh, who was selling copied games and things because they always used to have the um, fast adverts in there as well. Yeah. And <laughs> it, yeah, it sounds daft, daft, really, because, like, my dad was in the police as well. And I always thought, oh, God, if he finds out that I've just got a load of copied games, you know, um, even when my dad weren't together, I just thought, I was thought like, oh God, he can't come round to where I live, go to the bedroom and just see this, you know, plastic disc box with a load of copies in. <laughs> Handcuffs on. <laughs> I know. There you go. Oh. Do, do you, you remember those? It's my uh, weekend sorted. <laughs> do you remember those classified advert magazines you used to get? I think there was one called AdMag or... There were like these huge classified adverts. People would sell cars on them and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, the retro yeah. systems in there were always like very sketchy and you could get all the imports and stuff <laughs> on those. And uh, I'd often often get one of those as well as getting my, uh, you know, computer magazine. <laughs> you always you always saw like any uh, computers that were sold secondhand though, you'd always get, you know, a load of extra discs. A box of know. blank discs, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, one, one, just while we're on piracy, the, the one thing I remember was, again, looking in loot. And I've only ever owned one once, but it was a super wild card for the SNES. And back then it was obviously copying carts onto a floppy disk. And I could never work it out. You know, I'm not just saying that because um, I'm because I'm chatting uh, quite openly about uh, piracy and stuff. But I, I just I always found it weird because obviously the magazines never really mentioned the Super Wildcard. I can't even recall seeing it in a classified ad saying Super Play, you know, anything like that. But obviously, I think uh, they were a little bit more guarded about it. It makes me wonder how they'd be. If um, you mentioned before about, um, oh, what's it called? That you've got a few Mega Drive, um, Dan. Oh, the Everdrive. Yeah, yeah, the Everdrive. Sorry. Yeah. Mine just went then. So, like, it makes me wonder how they would cover things like the Everdrive now. Now, obviously, mm, yeah. we're talking like consoles that are no longer active and things, but, you know, it's um, it just seems in not that many years, really, how quick it's changed. You know, it always felt a bit like, you know, because obviously, like like Ravi mentioned then, I guess, because they had to be on the side of the software houses, hence these massive anti-piracy promotions that they'd always run. But in, in some ways, it kind of felt like as a reader, they were kind of out of touch with kind of what was going on. Yeah, I mean, again, people that we spoke to from lights of Ocean, Gremlin or whatever, um, I suppose from their point of view, they would have their budget range. So they probably go, well, look, you don't need to be pirating games. We've got enough software out there, you know, at reasonable prices and things. And, you know, you could go onto the market, like legit market and buy uh, proper box games, uh, like again, where I lived, you know, from £5 up to £30, you know, for the Amiga and things. 
I think a lot of them quite acted like a, a guide of how to do piracy by saying this is not what you do. Like, I couldn't imagine a magazine nowadays doing like, oh, you know, you can defeat the Nintendo Switch with a safety pin. Uh, yeah. You know, but back then they'd be like, this is how people pirate games. Don't do it. It's bad. But this is like X copy and this is, you know, and it would or go to your local supermarket uh, go to your local car park or something you know i can't remember though how i learned because obviously i had you know copied games to me st you know despite adverts in the mags and stuff but i don't know it's just i think it's always it's either an older family member and you know this mm. this wisdom's passed on <laughs> generation to generation, you know, and things like that. And uh, you know, I, I think um, at, back to the days um, at high school, and it'd be like, right, for fifty p a disc, I can get you a copy of this, this, and this, and this. And you know, you'd be there more or less with an A4 piece of paper, ticking a load of um, uh, you know, discs and that you want. And then two days later, there you go. There's your weekend sorted. You know, yeah, it's. I, I always find it interesting that people say that like piracy killed this certain system or that. And then, you know, the PlayStation came out that was massively popular. <laughs> there were these lists of copied discs and uh, CDs no, that you I, could get I, as I well. I didn't do the PlayStation though as pirate, um, on a piracy. Um, I know, we, you know, you've covered this before, but, you know, in regards to um, what was it like if you, quickly flip open your lid you know it's the swap trick yeah Yeah. Yeah. i never did that and somehow my original um playstation model with the audio uh ports in the back is still just about working somehow Mm. you know so i did look after it and i don't know for some reason i don't know i took it a lot more seriously then and that could have just been a case of i was working by the time, you know, I got a PlayStation or, you know, working part-time. So, you know, I was like, well, I'll just buy the games I want and stuff. It's just more as those teenagers, you know, on their home computers. But, yeah. Well, one thing that, you know, was definitely a big appeal when you're choosing a magazine in, in the newsagent was uh, the cover disc. Yeah. And, you know, I still got something to kind of spring to mind. I remember the first time I got, you know, the Hired Guns cover disc on Amiga format. Spent so long playing that. Lemmings 2 they gave away as well, a, a couple of demos level demos of uh, Lemmings 2 on Amiga format. That was incredible. Uh, the giveaway Amos, the programming language. And I know, actually, I think, didn't you cover, like, some of the best um, magazine cover discs in Amiga Addict recently as well? Um, I think you did a feature on We did. Yeah. Uh, it must be about, I'll tell you what, I'll say it's about two years ago now. Well, we do cover, we do have a classic cover disc um, half yeah. page, but I did do a feature on a few of my favourite ones. And God, that yes. was a bit back. Um, wow. But okay, the yeah. thing the, the, is... Sooner in my memory than... Oh, uh, no, than no, no, it's, was, it's, yeah. it's good that you remembered. You know, but then yeah. um, you've mentioned uh, two good points there, really, because you've got the game side... And obviously, Amiga Format was amazing with this because they went through a period. Um, I know I'd said to talk about games for a sec, but you went through full price serious software, you know, like you say, with like Amos or um, Optimad you know, or like, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 And they went through this period of having two, it was when uh, Marcus Dyson was um, editor. And so about 93, 94, they had like two discs. It's like it's a free software package with like 80 quid. And you're thinking, yeah. well, this magazine's three ninety five. It's a bargain, you know. And you know, it's I back then 
even if you weren't going to use it, it was good to have just in case you got into that serious side of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Amiga. But then on the game side, and we talked about, you know, things like, you say, uh, Lemmings 2 levels. Uh, we mentioned Canon Soccer a million times. But oh, yeah. the thing is, let's say you were a, and this is where magazines are important, let's say you're a full completist uh, for um, Sensibles games. So you go, right, well, there's obviously no disc uh, disc box for that, but I need to make sure I get uh, Canon Soccer in my collection to go with my Sensible Software collection, you know, and things like that. And um, again, the One Amiga got some really, really good uh, demo discs. And like before when Ravi said, so like, why did you buy certain titles? It'd be for things like that. You know, and it would. Uh, I think a lot of that was also to kind of stimulate the market. So they would have like the previous version of the title, but then the new version yeah. on sale. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. people would kind of get into that, but then they'd talk about all the new features that were going to happen in like Cinema 4D or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And again, they'd have like, you know, tenor off if you buy it through the magazine as well and things like that. Yeah. They knew what their audience wanted because. I'm going to sound very cheesy saying this. It was written by fans for fans, you know, yeah, trying not yeah. to like laugh my head off saying it, but these people, they knew the stuff. And this is again, what I said before, you know, you trusted these people um, because they're telling you what to spend your money on, you know, at the end of the day, um, granted, we've already talked about not everything was bought, but um, you know, like if you were buying a, <laughs> you know, a full price piece of software, you wanted to make sure it was something good. And, on that side it was it was amazing obviously time you went onto the playstation magazines that continued you know official playstation magazines selling by the bucket load because those demo yeah those demo discs you know which were absolutely packed you know so before when i'm talking about the st discs with two or three demos on some of these had like seven or eight you know, mm. and you're like going, this is amazing. That'd keep you going for absolutely ages, you know. And the demos seem to get bigger as well. So, you know, the, the key one that always gets brought up is on um, uh, Meme Machine Sega with uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga, disc one of the game on the cover of a magazine, you know, which gave you hours. You know, it's um, it, that was a crazy. And gift. someone like me who's crap at games, I mean, that will probably get all I get into in the game anyway. I wouldn't get further than that. So. <laughs> no, but, but that's just it. It's just, it's absolutely insane, like, the, the things that they gave away. I mean, I know that, like, you know, I mentioned it in, uh, when we were just messaging each other before, Dan, but if you couldn't give away demos, you had to look at other things to give away. So the big mm. one for me, um, being at high school at the time, was I absolutely loved pin badges. And CVG um, used to always have, like give away pin badges, like you know Mario Kart, Street Fighter 2. Again, Street Fighter 2 at the time being absolutely huge. Anything Street Fighter 2, posters, stickers, you wanted yeah. it. You wanted to shout how much you loved this series of games, you know. And one of the things that's like been on my mind a bit recently is I speak to some collectors and they want to collect a full set of a magazine, but we also want the free gifts as well. And that gets really, really difficult. You know, that's something that I don't think I'd get a full set of free gifts to go with a full set of magazines you know not, not when you're talking posters and stickers and things like that you know you you gotta be really 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 lucky there 
Oh, one hundred percent. And uh, you know, it, it's just because it they got separated from the magazine. People lost them and everything too. It's uh, very hard to get a lot of those kind of freebies they give away. Even getting a magazine today with a cover discs in, in the comic world. Like um, I know a lot yeah. of two thousand AD collectors and stuff. And if you've got like the the issues from the seventies, you know, with the add-on on the front and everything yes. worth like yeah. thousands but um yeah without it it just drops in price massively <laughs> it's it's crazy i mean like um with superplay i mentioned the badge before and then you have a look at um this is probably the thing because it's my favorite magazine this is what i've probably got the most gifts for so you know i've got things like uh, akira uh cards that came with it when they were uh, uh promoting uh manga and anime and then one thing I, I i didn't even remember this it came with like one issue and it was a killer instinct art print and i saw it like on ebay and it was like a tenner with with a another couple of magazines so i bought it just for that and then just sold on the magazines you know i was like i've just got to get this mm. art print you know and i had a quick look uh, through all the extra freebies you know that i've still got in my collection and it's just things like calendar that i'm missing and stuff like that you know i go over to like my mum's house and i still got things like well, street fighter 2 and cebg stickers on bits of uh yes. you know the wardrobe <laughs> and stuff like that bedside um cabinet and stuff and you're just thinking wow you know now that really is a blast from the past but i think everyone's got a favorite freebie that they remember because it enticed you to buy that magazine yeah, I remember buying an issue of Amiga Shopper and they said, you know, the first ever uh, hardware giveaway on a magazine oh cover. My. It was basically a little bit of plastic called a Tracy. So you stuck it to the side of your mouse with Velcro. It had crosshairs on it and you could basically trace outline things into deluxe paint. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. And they were selling those for around seven, eight quid. But I mean, I did actually use it a few times. So it was quite a cool little giveaway. Well, yeah, at least you actually used it. The one the one yeah. thing that I remembered, um, and I've, I've had split opinion on this because once with Super Pro magazine done by Paragon, they came mm. with, it was a cartridge holder and it was three pieces of plastic that stacked together. And I was like, my God, what the hell is this? This is rubbish you know but then i've spoke to some people that collect um n64 magazine i think they did something similar and they absolutely right. love this cartridge holder you know just because <laughs> not everyone kept the boxes back then which just sounds absolutely insane nowadays you know i've had friends in the past back when we were teenagers who just basically you know, or for box rips or whatever, or whatever, I'll just chuck it, I'll just chuck it, you know, or I'll just keep the carts anyway and just chuck the boxes and manuals. I'm like, what? You know, I found it a bit odd, <laughs> you know, 30 years ago. Now I think it just makes me uh, want to weep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned their Canon Soccer as well, which um, obviously is, is an incredible game in its own right, but obviously that was a cover disc for... Amiga format, the Christmas 1993 issue. Yeah. And again, I've got vivid memories of being in my uh, my local shopping mall, you know, all the Christmas songs playing, the tinsel was up, and going into WH Smith and picking that up, and then getting home, Christmas tree was up at home, and, you know, peeling that off. And I remember those discs were actually translucent discs. Yes. Had, um, yeah, it was like see-through green, that disc was. It's the so Canon nice, so. But it still oh, looks good now, you know what it, I mean? 
It's and, well, that's the thing is those Christmas issues though they always felt like such an occasion, didn't they? I mean, have you kind of got any favourite you know Christmas issues of magazines um, or I, any memories of those? Again, the big ones for me. Um, well, the one I've got next to me is like a recent edition. Um, not one of my necessary favourites, but it's this is like December ninety of Ace magazine, and yeah. uh, again, this is like one hundred eighty pages for one pound sixty with uh, Golden Axe on the cover, and it also came with a. Again, this is what I'm saying about the free gifts. It also came with this Game Boy Companion. So this is the complete handheld uh, Nintendo gaming guide. And it was quite funny because it was like, it's like an advert, obviously, for the Game Boy. And it's saying the year is 2020, facts from the past for immediate release. And I'm just like going, what is this? And I'm like going, it's about 2020. We passed that year now. But we're talking about it. You know, this is a futuristic uh, machine that can do this, that, and the other. And I look at it and I just think it sounds absolutely crazy, you know, that um, Mm. they put things together like that. You know, they write these uh, like little hardware guides, well, written by people from the future. But anyway, sorry, I'm going off a tangent there. (laughs) But no, favourite magazines, any any of the Christmas ones, because you'd always get 180 pages, 200 pages. The Amiga magazines, 300 pages. You know, I've got, I got given... I think it may be 1992's January Amiga format. I had like Lemmings on the cover um, of one of the Lemmings games. I was like, there's 296 pages in this and you feel it. It's so heavy, you know, yeah. for, for a magazine. Um, but yeah, I think those days are sadly gone. You know, it's, um, it, it's hard to obviously do magazines, but you think how many adverts are in them back then? Not every single uh, title was full of adverts, but, Again, speaking to Marcus Dyson when he was on a Amiga format, so those issues that we remember so fondly were an absolute pain in the backside for him because he was told he had to do 13 issues a year or if they plan the magazine and then they've got another four-page advert taken out by, you know, a mail order company or something. He says it just messed everything up. So um, mm. his his magazine memories are a bit different to mine. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I think it brings yeah. back nightmares for him. Hard work and slog for him and sweat and tears. Oh, know? yeah, yeah. Well, I, I yeah. remember speaking to... Um, Jazz Rignall um, a couple of years ago, and he I was in. Oh, like what? What are your favorite Amiga? Uh, not Amiga. What, what are your favorite Christmas memories? He goes, I hated it because everything was just rush, 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 rush. He goes, it wasn't a relaxing yeah. time, you know. And it's same when you um, when you speak to the software houses because if anything slipped, they're still rushing for any very very last minute things out. So I think for us as kids back then, brilliant, you know, we've been given a 300 page magazine to read through you know or a new game to play on but i think those people who brought us this stuff are uh, you know very stressed <laughs> out at the time yeah, it was amazing when he had like two weeks off school though and having oh, that no. huge magazine and that the always amazing cover did at christmas i know it's well uh hours spent you know talking of a, a christmas issue uh we've just finished a big one on on amiga addicts as well and how, how does it feel now you know you've been uh on that magazine for quite a long time and, um, uh... yeah <laughs> it's it's well we when we did our christmas one last year and um it was we had like paul kitchen do the artwork and i remember having this conversation with uh, with you guys 
well, with Ravi and, and the team, uh, should say, sorry, Dan. And um, it's like, okay. okay, we've got to have a Christmas uh, cover every single time. I'm like, really? You know, I'm not, I'm not personally mad on um, Christmas, but I think um, it still has a bit of a, uh, a nostalgic, you know, hit you in the feels type thing. Cause again, on pixel yeah. addict, uh, you know, we've gone for a bit of a festive feel and things like that. And I think, it depends, I suppose, what job you do, because when I'm not working on magazines, I work in retail. And after 27 years in retail, um, yeah, it's uh, my Christmas memories are uh, quite good. <laughs> songs yeah. months before Christmas. Just yeah, getting I know. <laughs> my eyes twitching as we just speak, and it's just like, you know, <laughs> thinking back. Going, it's opening oh, bars of Mariah Carey all I want yeah, for Christmas. I know, Come on, I know. Right? luckily, it's, it's got slightly easier. We, don't, we tend not to do as many... Uh, um, you know, late night openings, shopping centres, as, as you know, yeah. we used to back then. But now, um, but now it's it's good. It really, really is. Um, it, it's hard work, uh, as uh, Ravi knows, um, especially when uh, he's got me in his ear going, Ravi, where's the stuff? Ravi, where's the stuff? Ravi, I'm doing it now. I'm just doing it now. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Next day, where's the stuff? But no, it, it's it's good. I mean, look, I'm I'm always going to have that passion for the magazines. Um, but the thing, uh, again, I know that I mentioned um, in the chat was, um, and it's not just me, but the Edge magazine turned thirty this year. Um, yeah. It's one of the few remaining magazines. You know, uh, PC Gamer turned thirty. Edge turned thirty. Um, Retro Gamer is about to turn twenty. Even Amiga Addict, we're now working on issue 26, which equals um, Amiga Active magazine. Yeah, I um, think we're oh, wow. just hitting the whole run yeah. of Amiga yeah. Active, which was the yeah, biggest one crazy. after uh, CU Amiga. And then it collapsed after 26. So um, hopefully yeah. if we do 27, we'll... Uh, I know. Well, yeah, that's, that's enough to spur us on. I mean, even with Pixladdit now, but 17 and, you know, I see mm. this, um, these milestones in my head, you know, it, it's crazy. I mean, the one thing that, that really, really hit home, um, just jumping back onto Edge was right. They did. When, when Edge hit 30 back in August, I remember buying issue one of Edge because it came in the sealed plastic bag and I was like, oh, what's this? This is meant to be really, really... The Rise of the Robots on the front. Um, that was issue three. Um, right, issue okay. one had um, CDI, no, maybe CDI or... 3DO. 3DO, yeah, yeah, 3DO. Yeah. Sorry, I've, this is what I'm getting to, my point. Uh, I could have just cheated. Um, but basically... Um, nothing happened from Edge. I thought, how have you, how have you let this go by? You know, this uh, celebration. Why, why is nothing out in August um, 2023? Shouting about 30 years. And then we did this issue 390, which um, has just gone, well, it flew off the shelves. So this came out in October. And a lot of magazine collectors, myself included, have been scrambling around trying to get it. You've got people trying to sell it, you know, for about 90 quid on eBay and things. Wow. But it comes with a poster. And it's like this pixel art poster. And when you um, open it up, I don't even know why I'm opening it up because I know what's on the other side. On one side is the, the pixel art um, cover. And then inside are all 390 um, covers of Edge in this one shot, you know, this post one shot, right. it's absolutely amazing, you know, cause again, a lot of memories there, but you know, they've just covered like the, the top 100 games in edges lifetime. I'm, I'm not going to spoil the list cause it will be out there somewhere, but you look back at it 
And for people like us that have been into games for so long, you know, we spent our um, teenage lives onwards, you know, more or less obsessing over them. We still talk about them every single day, every single week. You look at it and go, Christ, we've seen so much. You know, I know there's people out there um, like who've worked in the 8-bit era and, you know, or they've been gaming longer than us, you know, in the 50s and 60s, whatever. But it's just, it's amazing. You know, you see so much. And I think what I do like about Edge um, it is just, it's that sort of connection still to that time. You know, yeah. you had, um, I think on uh, Richie Shoemaker recently as well. Yes. Really you know, did. and he obviously loves... Um, PC zone, you know. So when I got talked to Richie, I was like, "This is amazing. This is someone who wants to keep the memory alive. Write about the Dennis magazines, you know, like Zero by Dennis is one of my favorite magazines. You know, Your Sinclair, and I think um, whoever you talk to, you know, gamers and magazine collectors, we've all got our favorites. You know, and yeah, I think it's kind of gone back to a like a cottage industry as well. You've still got the big players there, which is great to see Edge and stuff. But I'm noticing so many kind of just fan-made magazines coming out. I can't kind of keep up with it. I bet you've seen stuff coming from all angles. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, there's, there's, um, I've said before, I think I, I might be wrong here, but because there's so many of us who went through this golden period that I've mentioned several times now, um, either like late thirties up to say the age of 50, you know, we, we all want to write about, uh, you know, what's going on, our memories, things like that. You know, you got people like, you know, Graham Mason, who's obviously made uh, more of a name for himself and things, you know, and y- you just go, these people got the passion you know, yeah. um, we, you, you've still got people like, um, Jess Rignall still writes a little bit, you know, for, um, oh, uh, 364. And there's a lot out there. I feel like everyone's, uh, catered for, you know, yeah, it's hard work. It really, I've, really is hard work, but I think, you know. uh, new grounds getting covered as well. So, um, you know, looking at stuff like debug and also looking at, um, Evercade evolution as well, which is oh, like yes. yeah, exclusive yeah, yeah. Evercade magazine as well. Yeah. It's, uh, An Evercade magazine, you know, and when I looked today, it, it's nicely put together because I saw that, at, um, it was a Nottingham event last year. Uh, yeah. Uh, the video games expo. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was good. So I feel like there's enough to cover, definitely. And I think that's mainly because there's such a retro boom and uh, not like a recent one now, you know, this has been going on for quite a few years, um, um, retro styled games. You know, if it's not like a compilation of, you know, Irim or Capcom classics or whatever, there's, there's games that are going down that style, you know, so there's so much to cover. Um, oh. It's never going to be how it was, but people are trying and how how do you go about like you know picking some of the content as well because i know you're on pixel addict as well and <sighs> pixel addict is a, a multi-system magazine and you've got lots of people contributing different articles different ideas yeah and, uh, kind of picking what goes in and uh, what people are going to pick up on that must be well, a tough job it I'll be honest, that, that really is. And uh, Ian, who's on uh, Amiga Addict, goes, Paul, I don't know how you do it. Because with Amiga Addict, you're talking about Amiga. With Pixel Addict, you are covering a lot more. I mean, by now, 
you have an idea of which systems are popular. You know, things like Acorn products do so well. You know, like when we did things like the Commodore Plus 4 yeah. uh, feature, that went down really well. Uh, History of the PlayStation, I've got some big ideas for 2024. You still obviously want to cover some well-known things, you know, because at the end of the day, it's someone's opinion or experience, you know, with a particular product, computer, a, a game or anything like that. So I always want to say to people, tell me what you're into and why you like it and why I should, you know, like it as well. So um, we've, we've just, we, we've covered things like a uh, little bits of technology, uh, failed systems and things. But like one of the big things that got pitched to me, which um, I've been working on today uh, was a piece on this thing called the connection machine. So this what this issue will only go out right at the end of the year, but this was a pitch from um, uh, this guy John, and he goes, "I've got I've got this um, machine I want to write about called the connection machine by this company, Thinking Machines. It's a supercomputer." Now I've said so many times I'm not that technical at all. He goes, but I'm on good terms with um, this lady, Tomiko, and uh, she designed it, you know. And I was like, okay, all right, well, start, work on it, and uh, see how we get on. And it's turned into like an eight-page feature because the creator who came up with the idea, a guy called Danny Hillis, he also, we sent it to him just to read over, and he fed back a few things to go, oh, you just need to change that little bit of history it didn't quite go like this this sat on the other and then there's another guy who was involved called um brewster kale and he went on to uh found via internet archive so i'm looking back at all these 1984 um, 85 pictures that um sent over and she's given us permission to use i'm just going this is insane um you've got a guy called richard um um, Feynman, who was part of the Manhattan Project, um, wow. and you know, and I'm just going, this is mad. We've spoke to a guy, um, Carl Sims, who's um, uh, also he's won a Nobel Prize, and it's just, it's absolutely insane. The people involved, we're talking like really, really clever people, you know. And I'm going, okay, I knew nothing about this. Now I know quite a lot <laughs> for reading, you know, quite a few thousand words, but I'm hoping people find it interesting and that's that's obviously the the difficult part because it's great that uh you know people's passion could take you down that kind of road yeah yeah i mean it it really really is and what i always want is if someone's reading pixel addict i want them to learn something new you know and just for example like with with that one you know that um connection machine honest to god my god it's just um it's sort of like technology and art coming together because it's been in like the uh, New York um, Museum of Modern Art as well and things like that as a showcase. It's just, um, it's been so interesting, you know. But then like it then opens the doors to, you know, get more people involved in the magazine, you know, to talk to us and stuff like that. You know, it's, um, I've even been speaking to, um, started speaking to an MP about his uh, computer collection, you know? So he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll answer some questions. I went, I won't discuss politics. We'll just keep it to game. An MP answering questions. I know, I know, I know. I said, we'll keep it fun. We'll, we'll talk about old computers, you know? Um, but no, it's, it's good. It really is. And 
I want people to have something they can hold. I know not everyone wants to own a physical product through space or whatever. And um, for, for me, it's all about the nostalgia of having yeah. a paper product. In yeah, I, I'm 100% with you as well. I mean, you know, I, I get the PDFs because I, I subscribe to Pixel and Amiga Addict. I get the PDFs delivered to me, but I always wait until the proper actual mags arrive through the door just yeah. for that experience. And again, I mean, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've seen the, your cover with uh, James Pond on it for the, the Christmas edition of uh, Amiga Addict with the snow over the logo. Yeah. Again, it reminds me of, you know, getting that Amiga format issue that we talked about 30 years ago. So well, it brings back those feelings. That turned to a, a nice piece as well because um, Phil South's done that. And, um, Phil South um, was obviously on a lot of magazines back in the day, you know, like Yoss Sinclair and again, Zero, and he's worked on Amiga magazines. So for yeah. me, it's a bit surreal when I'm going, yeah, Phil, can you just, you know, write us a piece on this or whatever? Or what ideas have you got? You know, and then, you know, um, I've reached out to a couple of people with him, you know, to discuss that Millennium uh, interactive piece with, uh, you know, James Pond. And it's it's just again it opens up so many doors you know because you never know like and again it keep it's like you sometimes catch people unaware but you'll be aware of that you get a guest in every single week for the last god yeah. knows how many years you know and they go oh why do you want to talk to me about this you know oh it was 30 years ago i can't remember you know but then <laughs> i think when you start answering you know asking the questions they go oh yeah and that's why I love it. You know, I love it when you yeah. ask that question and it unlocks something in their mind and we just you just go, yes, I've got it. I've got what I want. Well, Paul, I mean, you know, you guys do it so well. You and all the guys at, you know, Addict Media. And I think it's incredible that you're keeping the, the magazine scene alive and we can, you know, actually have paper magazines dedicated <laughs> to our favourite systems. And long may it continue. I mean, I always love it when I see a copy of Amiga Addict or Pixel Addict in uh, WH Smith. I always kind of move it to the front and really, you know, do <laughs> you guys a favour. But for, for people that maybe haven't seen it around, I mean, just to kind of wrap things up, how, how can, what's the best way for people to get hold of them? Um, again, if you just go on addict.media, That'll take you to our site where you can obviously look at um, the two main magazines and also our one-off special on um, Amstrad Addict. And hopefully, you know, you might see a few more specials down the line. Uh, and again, you know, like you just mentioned, um, in DeWitch Smith's there as well. And yeah, it's, it's hard work, but it's worth it. It really, really is. Yeah. Well, long may it continue, Paul, and uh, it's been lots of fun reminiscing with you, and I look forward to the uh, next retro event where we uh, we share a pint and I spend too much money on magazines oh, after you course. pint some out to me. So. I know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on, Lot. I'm sorry for uh, banging on about magazines too too much, you know, and not letting you get yeah, too many words in, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big passion, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been a blast, mate, and obviously uh, Maximum Power Up is back, the podcast, yes. check that out as well. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I will just quickly say that. So we, I don't think we're going to do loads, but I think we're going to try and put out, you know, maybe four, maybe five a year if we can. So, you know, no set schedule at the moment, but if the moment takes us just off the microphone and, uh, you know, get talking, something that I don't struggle to do. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Paul, uh, always a pleasure to catch up with you, mate. Obviously, uh, I'll put all the links in the show notes so Thank people you. can click through as well. So thanks again for coming on. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.